Welcome back to Chunky Glasses, the podcast. This is episode number 94, and uh, this is going to be our final regular episode of 2014. We've got a couple uh, best ofs coming up, uh, but as far as the regular you know, interview or album review stuff, this is it. Uh, and this is good, because this is a good one. Um, if you have noticed uh, throughout the year, we've been trying to balance a little bit doing the uh, you know, traditional like national coverage, having like bigger artists on, touring artists coming through, but also some local artists. Uh, Marion McLaughlin was one of the ones that I, I wanted to have on uh, early on, and she actually emailed me a couple of weeks ago, and I said, "Yeah, let's let's do this." Uh, her she put out an album early in 2014 called uh, "Derive." I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, if you have heard it, you probably can't forget it because it is a very sublime mix of uh, classical guitar, sort of. Uh, I don't want to call it pop, but uh, you know, storytelling, songwriting—it's very lush record, uh, and it is, is made from sort of a technique, but that goes by the same name of of just letting this, letting the stuff, letting your art go, let it take you where it will, and the, the record is reflective of that. Uh, it caught the ear of NPR early on. She did a Tiny Desk concert, uh, so that's a feather in her cap. But uh, more than that. Uh, Marion is a is a longtime staple in the DC scene. Even though now she's up in Baltimore, uh, big supporter of the house shows around here, and uh, so I wanted to get her in and talk with her about all that and about the album and about her newest project, uh, her upcoming album, Spirit House, which she's starting a Kickstarter. We're about midway through it right now uh, that she wants to put out next year. Uh, so, without further ado, I think we'll get to that conversation. So here you go. This is episode number 94 with the uh, wonderful Marion McLaughlin. And it finishes here. Two men enter, one man So you ready? Sure. Right, we can, that, that can be the start of it. Yeah, I don't know what else to talk <laughs> yeah. about, though. Yeah, yeah, well, we'll, 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 we'll see. Uh, Marion, thanks for coming to the basement. Sure. Uh, it is rainy as shit outside, so apologize oh, for the walk. Oh, it's log. barely drizzling. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess, how, how do you pronounce the, it's a, your guitar technique and the name of your album? <laughs> oh, the name of my album is called Diddy Eve, uh-huh. and uh, it's interesting, some people say it's a my guitar technique um however uh, i i think that it's more so derive is this trying to think how to explain it derive is this idea of walking around a city letting your surroundings subconsciously direct you Mm -hmm. and it came about from guy debord and these situationists in Mm -hmm. paris um and i saw parallels to that to my music playing of just 
walking around, um, not exactly having a direct path, but exploring and letting letting things just right. sort of help shape you. And so that's how I saw my guitar playing, I guess, right. some parallels to that, being like, not exactly trying to do a verse, chorus, verse in my playing, mm. but how does this shape of this chord right, look or right. this tuning or this chord voicing? Mm. So, And if, any, if anybody's heard the album, which uh, oh. we'll probably put a, a link to it, like on the streaming thing, like mm-hmm. in the show notes, but uh, the, what you end up with out of that is this very complex, but I think not off-putting sound. Because complexity, you can get like way obscure, complex, and it's like, mm. oh, that's too hard to get into, but there's parts in there that can pull you back in mm-hmm. when how long have you been playing say before making this album when, what, what got you like up to this point that we're at right now oh it's been a very gradual gradual journey I would say I started learning guitar when I was maybe 13 or okay. so so I remember seeing my friend in cafeteria in 8th grade playing a guitar and I just saw the guitar and I was like, I have to play that. Right. I, I just felt... Do you, do you remember what kind of guitar? It was just an acoustic guitar. Right. But I just saw saw the guitar and I felt like it was kind of like a love at first sight mm-hmm. sort of thing. And so I started learning, you know, just basic songs like Metallica, Nirvana, <laughs> things you learn when you're just eighth grade. Stuff. You know, like nothing yeah. else matters. Just like those oh, opening yeah. strings. Uh, <laughs> just, if, you, if you want to go balls out, you can get Inner Sandman. <laughs> yeah, just stuff with like good good riffs and hooks uh-huh. that you like when you're when you're around that age and um, that my friends were getting into. And uh, then I was lucky enough to have a guitar class in my high school, so it was. Uh, great environment it was um, pretty much you could come to the class and look through tab books and say hey I want to learn the song and right. our, our teacher Mr. Key would uh, copy it for us wow. a copy machine and he would also have uh, listening days where mm-hmm. he would make these uh, these video montages or of just various things from stuff that he's watched from like Saturday Night Live or things right. like that or um, different performances of musicians for us to check out. So it was a really cool experience. And um, at a certain point, we started learning a little bit about reading music, but mm-hmm. mostly it was just intuitive, like go at your own pace playing. Yeah. You and, mentioned tablature, so you're familiar with like Guitar Magazine back in the day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, uh, you know, different tab websites. Yeah. So that was my experience of beginning to learn music. Then, um, when I started college, I knew I just wanted to keep playing music. So I started taking some more formal training classes, like classical guitar. But uh, most of my playing usually comes from an intuitive nature, just picking up the instrument. How how far did you go with the uh, with the classical guitar? You know, I got just a little taste of it. Mm -hmm. I happened to injure my arm during that time. Right. Um, so that really held me back from getting too far into yeah. it. But my teacher was uh, a student and uh, a friend of Andres Segovia, okay. um, yeah. who is this, uh, you know, pioneer of classical guitar Absolutely. technique. So that was really cool having some experience from somebody who had experience from him. Yeah. And uh, so I got a little taste, uh, just learning a lot of things that stuck stuck um in my mind was just how you should be positioning your hand to mm-hmm. get like full range 
Absolutely, yeah. Of it. Yeah. Um, don't, don't be afraid to yeah. geek out on that stuff. <laughs> like, <laughs> being in, like, you know, having, if your hand is in, like, fourth position, that means your your first finger is on the fourth fret, you know, and just how just different things can give you more mobility right. with the instrument. And um, we'd get various kinds of exercises to just give us more strength and dexterity with yeah. our hands. So that really helped, I think. But I I just knew I just wanted to try out songwriting and right. it just it's what came naturally did, to me. Did you have a because I mean there is a very classical style sounding guitar like mm. to your to your songs. I mean you can tell that you at, at the very least even if it wasn't extensive training that you know what you're doing <laughs> uh, with the guitar. A lot of times, um, whether it's like uh, uh, conscious or unconscious, it is. Um, did you? instinctively when you wanted to get into songwriting was there a type of songwriting that you wanted to uh pursue like you were saying you know songs with like catchy hooks pop even oh not or, pop at all yeah. <laughs> the the idea of hooks also i wasn't too good at that yeah. just i knew that i wanted to tell stories and that your standard verse chorus verse like repeating structures weren't mm-hmm. really calling calling me but uh i found that just stream of consciousness more so just things that i would just start singing and i would see where it would lead me right and then at a certain point i'd be okay well i have this bulk of material and maybe start doing some research on whatever topic that it was revolving Mm -hmm. around and uh just kept putting it together until a song was formed so sort of like a, a blob (laughs) <laughs> a little bit of a blob. A little bit of, a little bit of what was the uh, largest yeah. blob you ever made so far? The largest blob. It's hard to say. There was this one song that I have. Uh, it's called Persephone, and it's like seven yeah. minutes long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so maybe that might about. be in a duration of time the lar- longest thing or largest thing I've made. Um, and that song is almost put together in different pieces mm-hmm. because it's exploring the story of... Um, Persephone and all the characters, like her mother, Demeter, uh, Zeus having an existential crisis because mm-hmm. there's this hunger strike uh, right, right. from a, or this production strike from Demeter and it creates hunger amongst all the people. People start dying and stop believing in the gods. And right. So it's not only till that moment that uh, Zeus has this existential crisis. Like, who's going to believe in me if everyone's dead? Right, so right, right. It, There's all these interesting yeah. angles in the story. So I don't know. Once the story starts, it's kind of hard to did, put a cap on that, it. That particular song, because that, that's one that does stand out on the record. I was actually listening to it on the way home oh, cool. today. And uh, uh, th- th- was that written, or in general, this could be any song, like, do you, do you get part of the blob and then maybe a year later you'll be like, oh, this fits with this? Or is it, you know, songwriters will say sometimes they just sit down and came to them. And you that just one, sit in like 30-minute yeah. stretch and it's like, all right, done. Although I have had many songs that they're just little tiny pieces and sometimes they get tucked away for a while, that song totally just came, came all at once. And I think it came from a, a period where... I had just kind of taken a little bit of a break from writing. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden it came to me and it, it was really like, a, I don't know, it was inspiring because I, I hadn't written anything big in a while. So. Right. Right. Are yeah. you, do, you, do you 
do prose writing? Prose writing? Not so much. I mostly just it's do main, songwriting. It's mainly contained in the songwriting. Yeah. Well, there's a... Um, it's a it's a style of music, like, and I don't mean this pejoratively at all. It's almost like Hobbit rock, something you would see. There, Hobbit rock. There, there, there's a, <laughs> I love it. There's there's a there's a there's, a, um, there's like a, a lore. It feels like you listen to this, and there should be some lore built into this, mm-hmm. which is what you said. You know, it's it's deeply like built on storytelling. Yeah. You know, if you're talking definitely. about stuff in the gods, so you know. If you're doing it in these songs, like that one in particular, that could. Do you think if you took it out of that song, it would be sort of the same story, or it has to go with the music that you're making? Uh, Well, I know that it's hard to take the lyrics Mm -hmm. um, and put them on paper. I think they they lose their uh, their power without like the voice carrying it, and then. um, that song ex- definitely expanded when I started working with uh, upright bass player Ethan mm-hmm. Foot. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a very expressive performer and incredibly talented. And and then I had some other musicians like Alexia Kaufman played cello on that song, and Matt Hotez played trombone, and Ben Use played drums. So I think having all that musical um, flourishes really helped bring it more to life right give it more character do you uh you write by yourself correct or do you write with these people i write by myself when i'm just writing guitar and voice parts Mm. and when i have a song that i feels complete i often share it with ethan who Mm -hmm. plays bass with me um and then if he wants to he'll come up with a part or he'll come up with multiple arrangements for it which he's been doing lately with a lot of the new material. Right. Which so. the new material is going to be for a new album called yeah. Spirit House. Spirit House. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've actually, you've got a Kickstarter going for it right now. Yeah. It's two weeks in and there's two weeks left. So a halfway point. Is this the first Kickstarter you've run? This is the first and maybe the only Kickstarter. Really? <laughs> yeah. It's just, um, it, it took me me a lot of thinking mm-hmm. to decide to do it i i wanted i was tempted to do a kickstarter for my first album and then i thought well i should just i should just you know work a job and use that money that i save right. up to pay for the album right. and really make it my own absolutely um but having done that it was a lot of work <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. what i'm gonna do is a lot more work so yeah um after talking to some friends about ways that I could go about funding it, a lot of people convinced me to try out a crowdfunding campaign yeah. uh, just as a way for people to pre-order the album, but also as a way for people to be more involved with the process of right, making the right, album right. rather than, um, you know, having people involved, let's say, June or July when it comes out. Right. They can be there and get glimpses of what it's like to be in the studio or the songwriting process or all the things that come along the way. And so I'm excited to be doing it. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting thing because it has over the past five, it's been longer than five, I think. It's 2009. 2009. You were talking about Kickstarter started. Well, Kickstarter and the idea of of that, an internet-enabled crowdfunding. Yeah. I mean, obviously people, I mean, you go out, you find patrons for your art. 
mm-hmm. that's sort of what you're doing. And there, there are many different ones other than Kickstarter, but uh, it seemed to be a big thing. And it's it's interesting to hear artists talk about it and how they feel about it. Some people are like, well, if they're going to give me money, they're going to say, that's fine. You know? And then you see some artists that don't even really want um, – like what you're talking about, that sort of little glimpse, that level of involvement in there. But then there's people like you who are like, no, you should be involved in this, you know. And uh, you know, I worked for the first one. Um, it's just a weird dynamic. So, it is, yeah, because definitely. I think Gus is down here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, crashing his fifth podcast, I believe. <laughs> um, friends of ours in a, in a band, uh, Kingsley Flood, are doing a sort of a. a next level type of thing where uh, they're having people sort of support the band for a year. It's like a subscription service. Like a patron subscription? Yes. Yeah. So you have different levels you can do it at, obviously, but it gets you, uh, I think every level gets you like the new album, which is what that's they're working for. They're working for a new album. Mm And uh, some get you like access to certain videos and stuff, and some and I, and I haven't I've been meaning to get in the scene down here to talk about that, but see how it's going. But like in the middle of it, they lost a band member. It's like oh no, oh, no. Oh. so uh, you know that was a really big experiment for them, and uh, you know it's uh, that that seems where it's going the the support me thing, like be be my patron, I guess, and you know you always you know your audience. I guess. Or you discover them. <laughs> or you or you discover them in that. I mean, at this yeah. point, so at this point, you've actually, uh, you've, you played a tiny desk. Oh, yeah, that was a dream. So, true. Yeah. Um, you, you've got Bob's ear. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and thanks to him, quite a few other people. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so do you feel your audience at this point is a is a comfortable size or... It's hard to gauge. Um, it really is. I feel that more people understand and believe in what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. And that means a whole lot to me because I've been doing it for a while. And it's right. it's a lot of hard work doing it. Um, but every now and then, like every couple of weeks, someone will buy my album from yeah. my band camp. And I always email them yeah. uh, if I don't know them, just mm-hmm. being like, hey, thanks for yeah. getting the album. And how'd you hear about the music? A lot of these people have heard about it through Tiny Desk Concert. Yeah. And um, a handful of them are people who from all over the world. So it's interesting how I become creating these like digital pen pal exchanges mm-hmm. with you know, somebody who lives in Brazil or Canada, Germany. Um, yeah. It's really awesome. And they always have like the nicest things to say when, when I email them and they respond back. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I was saying, it's so hard to place like the, the core of this music mm-hmm. and maybe just because of your process, you know, it just goes and you lock into it and it, it appeals to like so many different, like, cultural aspects of, of obviously a lot of different cultures and you play it for them and you know you, you you've already gotten out in front of people <laughs> like a good level of exposure that people i think will keep uh discovering like more and more especially as you get closer to the second album yeah and hopefully. um Great. how long were you planning or like playing out doing shows and stuff before the first album 
Oh, it's hard to say. Um, I'd say that I really started finding my footing with songwriting when I was 18 or so. Mm -hmm. And um, a really unfortunate event really led me to that. It was uh, one of my music musical friends uh, died. Yeah. And from grief, I started writing songs about him. And then I just started writing songs. Right. I just felt like something in me from that. And then I felt like performing them. So I would just do very tiny shows for friends right. or house shows, places around college. So maybe that was like 2007 or something. And then, but it wasn't till like around 2010 that I really felt comfortable with mm -hmm. what I'm doing. And over the course of those years, while I was living in D.C., I was finding a community that was supportive and feeling like I finally had a mature body of work. And right. in 2013, was it? Yeah, that's when we started recording the album. Right. In 2014, we released it. And you, so. you met all these people that you've been working with. Uh, sort of, you said upstairs when we were talking, you were hiring some musicians, but you definitely have a core few that you seem to be working with. Yeah, there's Ethan. Uh, he, he's been such a supportive, just rock uh -huh. in the whole process of it. And we've been working with Invoke, the string quartet. They're, okay. uh, they're great. Where are they're, they based out of? They're based out of College Park in uh, Maryland. Okay. They're, a lot of them are University of Maryland students oh, nice. or graduates. Right. Um, we started working with the violinist, Nick, and the cellist, Jeff. But we're going to start working with the whole quartet for the new album. Very nice. So, so they're really great. They're also um, fellow artists in residence for Strathmore, mm -hmm. which I'm doing a residence. Yeah. And you're playing tomorrow, actually, right? I'm playing there tomorrow, yeah, yeah, but I'm only doing one song. I'm okay. singing along on a song for uh, Alan Johnson, my mentor right. for the Strathmore program, is having his concert. And so I wrote lyrics to a song for, nice. for, for nice. him. Yeah. So what, uh, as a Strathmore artist in residence, what does that mean for those who might not know? Yeah, well, Strathmore has this a bunch of educational programs and one of them is the artist in residency program and this is the 10th year so it's been around for 10 years it's been great a lot of awesome local area musicians have gone through this program and when you're in it you go to Strathmore a couple of times a month for professional development seminars mm -hmm. like how did we had a how to do taxes for musicians last night oh wow um very helpful. It made yeah, me realize, is, like, it's sort of like the work that the Future Music Coalition is doing. Okay, I need yeah. to check them out. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Casey Ray would. Yeah, you need to talk to him. Yeah, but I mean, that was really eye-opening to say. Oh, if I have a gig out of town and I I stay over there, I can, you know, do all sorts of things mm -hmm. that are like tax deductible. And for me, it's always just kind of. Like, oh, well, this happened, but then that happened, and everything kind of, right. like, um, balances out. But it was very eye-opening to realize, like, I should be a little bit more organized in these, like, different spectrums of the business mm -hmm. element of being a musician. Right. So that's what a lot of the seminars do. Like, um, so we had taxes for musicians. We've had do-it-yourself PR, website building, um, yeah, band leading. 
So we'd go to those a couple of times a month. And then starting from January and running till June, there are performance months. So oh, nice. each artist has a month in which they have a handful of performances. Yeah. And then they also have a night where they do an educational outreach workshop. So, wow. yeah, it's... It's sort it's, of like a musician camp. Yeah, right? it, <laughs> it kind of feels like, like I'm going back to school in some way. You yeah. know, like, like getting a master's almost in doing exactly what I want to be doing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Getting incredible assistance and all sorts of resources. So it's... It's been a, a blessing. I mean, that, that is, <laughs> as I think, uh, especially now with like uh, the ubiquitousness of like streaming, where like the, the playing field is so huge for everybody. Mm-hmm. I think that is the most important like thing that musicians can be doing, like in twenty fourteen going forward, is learning their business. Absolutely, and, there's a lot of business you know, to be and, learned, <laughs> and, it, and it's and it's a hard thing because a, a lot of Musicians or, or just artists in general, just like I just want to create, mm-hmm. and and especially if you're younger, you're like, oh my god, I can't, I, you know, I, I couldn't possibly do that. But if you do that, you find that oh, all of a sudden now I have like money to like create, like to support myself, yeah, and and do this great. Mm-hmm. We are actually um, it just aired today the uh, uh, podcast with Astra Via, which is Olivia Mancini and uh, Jarrett Nicolai. I listened to a little bit of it. Did you? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we talked a lot about that because they've both been in the business for a long time. Mm-hmm. And they're in separate cities now. But, you know, the idea of, like, you know, you learn, you learn how to you know, properly market your stuff and learn how, like, oh, so if I get this type of agent, I can maybe get my thing in a commercial. Mm-hmm. Which a lot of people sometimes shy away from, but you're still – I don't think it takes away – you know, from what you created, somebody is yeah. just paying you for it <laughs> as opposed to taking a risk. Mm-hmm. But like you've played a lot of like house shows. Yeah, lots and lots. And that that's probably always going to be the case. Yeah. Just because I love them. I yeah. Love it's the it's such a good incubator. Yeah. But like a house show isn't going to say get you like a, you know, $5,000 guarantee in a town you've never been in. No, never. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, if you if you if you're going out and conceivably, you know, you do want to take this and, and you know, do it for people and, and put it in front of people and be like, "Hey, this is my art." Mm-hmm. Then uh knowing how to how to how to get to that point, I think is probably invaluable. It sounds like that's that's what the Strathmore is sort of doing. Yeah, uh, it's it's great to have that um i feel like i'm have a little bit of a grasp on the business end of things Mm -hmm. because i i manage my own project you know i I do my bookings and correspond with people so i'm getting a taste for it yeah so it's good to learn more yeah it can always be learning and i think at the end of the day like you know how to represent yourself the best Mm -hmm. like you know what you're trying to sell like not to like reduce it to a product, but that you know, you want people to you know, hire you, take you out, yeah. You know? mm-hmm. um, with that in mind, so when you finish the new record, what, what's the plan? Is, is it going to be local release shows? Uh, is it something that you can tour around, or are you just planning on like focusing on recorded music and then maybe on to the next recorded project? It's really, it really all depends. We have these two shows set up mm-hmm. before the record will even be done, where we'll be 
performing the material with the arrangements from the record. Oh, nice. So we're um, performing in February 22nd, a free show at Busboys and Poets in Hyattsville. Nice. And we'll be having this like 10-person ensemble. Oh. Yeah. It's just like all these dreams coming true. It's a great feeling. And then um, we're performing again with Strathmore mm -hmm. with the ensemble. And I was hoping that the record would be done for my residency month in right. April, but it might take a little longer. It's just, it always takes long. Sure. Um, you want to make sure that it's everything you want it to be without, right. like, without releasing it too early. So, uh, I'm hoping that it would be done by summertime. And if we found the right kind of venues that could host a show for, you know, all these like a tiny desk. I mean, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. I mean that was that was great. They yeah. they can host anything. Yeah. But um, uh, just a room with good acoustics that can handle a string quartet and brass and percussion. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to make sure that we're just playing in the right space that right. can also um, that can also compensate everyone adequately because. You know, like I said, I'm I'm hiring musicians to be mm -hmm. part of this. And when people join me for these shows, they're also joining me for rehearsal. They're learning the pieces. Right, right. So I just want to make sure everyone's taken care of. Yeah. So should we find the right kind of spaces to perform those arrangements? And that would be great to be able to play um, multiple shows in multiple towns yeah. with this with uh, these new songs and these arrangements. Um, what would be your ideal type of venue uh, for this type of stuff? It's hard to say. Uh, I mean, Strathmore is going to be a great venue Absolutely. I, I, for what we're doing. I've played there before mm -hmm. and I've seen um, I've seen some bands play there and it's just it's a great room. It's it's intimate, but it's got this these wooden walls and mm -hmm. it's great sound in it. So. Uh, I definitely see myself performing the songs with the ensemble or without them in okay. the future. And I would love to go on some kind of tour. I've been invited to go to Europe for um, a residency That's in fantastic. Portugal. So wow. if that, if I can make that happen, I'd do that. Interesting. Yeah. I'll, tell you, I'll tell you something yeah. about that after uh, off the mic. Well, yeah. uh, no, actually, Daria's uncle... Um, uh, was the band director up at Virginia Tech uh, for years. Mm -hmm. he's, he's a composer up in Blacksburg, Virginia. And they are going to Portugal to see somebody play one of his pieces. And he turns out like three a year. Oh, wow. Uh, it might be... Uh, uh, and actually, we were listening to your record over Thanksgiving. Oh, so cool. I, might, I might put you in touch with them. Yeah. Uh, he, he quite enjoyed it. Um, awesome. So, so you will, you're willing to... You, you're not like married to the, like... This is this is the the blob on record how it is, mm -hmm. and it can't be anything else. Whether oh, it's be in like in performance, yeah. like do you are you going out to like perfectly replicate it, or like given your process of like songwriting, just see what happens? I would say that I believe a record is one thing and a performance is another, mm -hmm. and if you want to perform your music the way you recorded it, that's totally fine, yeah. but. From experience, I know that the songs slowly shift yeah. and that they become different over time yeah. 
maybe maybe my voice might change slightly or my playing or you dig a little deeper into it so i'm definitely not married to stick exactly to the recording Uh i think the recording is one thing that gets sculpted and it becomes a performance of itself right you know but having um we did a small tour this summer we uh ethan and myself and we played these songs uh two weeks in a row and we noticed how the songs were changing a right, little bit right. from just and it was just them. you guys it was just us but they became stronger and we were able to maybe instead of playing the ending this way play it like hold out the notes a little bit longer or, or just right. little tiny things to slightly tweak it so i think each performance can be slightly different and and it is depending on your mood or the space you're in or all yeah. sorts of elements. Was, yeah. was there any performance in that where you, you looked over at him and were like, what the hell was that? Like, not not in a good way. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> probably. Yeah. I remember when we were we were playing in Buffalo, New York and at Dreamland, which is this great do-it-yourself spot. And they have a like probably the best acoustics of the tour. It was just like really high ceilings mm-hmm. and it sounded great. We played with this awesome band tiny rhymes from uh, buffalo but yeah that i remember he uh kind of just held this part of the song a little bit longer he just played these notes a few extra times yeah and i loved just how that built up even more suspense right and i was just like this is great that we should just keep seeing how we can slightly yeah. change and things your, your whole material yeah. can like still surprise you you don't get yeah. tired of it and like, yeah that's a good sign <laughs> <laughs> no that, that, is, yeah. that is a good sign and yeah. that is you know that back to what i was saying about the, the music has a lore you know it definitely has a mm-hmm. you know this a, a timeless uh you know, tales that you tell people and in an oral tradition like those tales just keep changing definitely you know? and they could change from yeah. city to city you know it could be something else um uh within this within terms of like this city though so talking about venues so uh what about like a place like black cat backroom a less ideal no thing. black cat backroom is great uh seeing a lot of phenomenal music i saw future islands a couple years there yeah. ago there pre-recently played mm-hmm. there they're good friends old roommates of mine right um i would love to play there just i think it's a matter of timing just sometimes i've asked to play there but they're booked like five months in advance or something yeah so um, it being one of the best clubs in the country it rules i wouldn't mind playing there at all um maybe maybe that would be for a smaller ensemble Mm -hmm. maybe just with the string quartet instead of getting everyone there it's just it's hard to just get 10 people in a room yeah (laughs) yeah have you you ever talked to uh, mother falcon those guys no holy crap there's like 20 Six of them, I think. It's like as many letters in the alphabet. It, it, it is made, but they do some they do some amazing work. Yeah. But yeah, they the way they have to plan their tours is, and they're coming back uh, here in January, I think, is that some of them are from here, mm-hmm. so they have a place to stay, and then they just East Coast for like two months. Okay, because they're from Austin. Okay, and because they they can't really do what they do with fewer than like X amount. I think mm-hmm. they said the, the cutoff was like 17. But, yeah. But uh, it's a hilarious idea that you like are like, well, we're going to make music and we're going to do it like big and like 
old fashioned, if you will, you know, classical style and take mm-hmm. it out in front of people to you know, rock clubs, like people who normally go and see indie rock stuff and mm-hmm. they go, oh, shit, you know, look at these guys. That's awesome. That's it it that. is awesome. They're, they're, they're <laughs> a lot impressive. of fun. Yeah. They're, uh, they come on January 20th. I think they're coming back. I should take. You a should look absolutely go, and you should introduce yourself to them because yeah. they are all. Uh, they have sat where you are sitting now. Oh, cool! And they are not all seventeen or twenty-seven of them. Um, <laughs> so, uh, let's see. The album comes out. You can do a little with that. Um, do you? In when you're in the studio. How much are you relying on, like, say, in this case, the person you're, you're going to hire, mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, being, like, going with your gut and being like, no, do this, no, do this. And it's sort of, like, not technical skill. Like, I don't know whether or not you know how to run a board or, or not. Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, do you um, do you trust them to understand what you're doing? Yeah, well, we worked with uh, Peter Fox, a good friend of mine, mm-hmm. uh, for a couple of the songs on the album, and we hope to work with more songs of the album with him. It's just he moved to New York recently, so right. just the logistics of different cities, yeah. Uh, yeah. scheduling. Um, he worked with Ethan on Ethan's album, which should hopefully come out this winter. Oh, wow. And it's similar instrumentation, so... Um, Definitely trust the people that I'm working with, Ethan and Peter. And um, we might be working with another friend to help engineer uh, some of the songs nice. on the album, too. Yeah. Just just someone who's local. Uh, we're still trying to figure out all the details. But I think just what's important for me is just trying to capture the sound of acoustic instruments correctly, right. which is actually really challenging because <laughs> yeah. you don't have anything to mask it with. Right. You know, when you're in a rock band, you can just like... Uh, Distortion. Have distortion or fuzz feedback. Delay pedal, uh, tremolo, and reverb. Death by audio. And it'll and I yeah. mean and I'll turn that on and it'll sound fantastic. Yeah. My my old washburn upstairs sounds like shit and I love it though. Like it, yeah. it sounds just like it. Yeah. But it's, yeah, you you can't mask it. Yeah, and you so you have to just know your parts. You have to mm-hmm. be rehearsed and feel comfortable with the material. And I think it's just a matter of capturing that correctly. And when we recorded my first album uh, with Ben Schur, mm-hmm. uh do you know Ben from Brer? I don't know him personally, but I know well, him. Um, he's, a, he's a great DC musician. Uh, but we recorded it at the Blight House. It's just a, yeah. a row house in Petworth. And it was a really fun experience. But at the same time, the next door neighbor was having construction from right. the front of the back to the house. Like they were like building a fence and then sanding the deck and then uh, cutting down a tree and then grinding cement. And it was like bleeding through every now and then while we were yeah, recording it, acoustic <laughs> instruments. And, and some, people find, some people find that aesthetic okay. I remember I made a, a really yeah. shitty tape of just like, here's like I song ideas on acoustic guitar mm-hmm. on a patio I lived on in Richmond and like cars are going by right and that's a very specific sound yeah. I played it for a friend of mine that he goes oh that's really cool what is that and like no this car's going by that's not by this <laughs> yeah. man <laughs> you know but uh yeah yeah at some point you want to isolate it down to I mean you know there's you know, especially like the level you're playing the level all the people you're bringing in are playing you you want to hear 
what they're doing. Very clearly. We spend so much time thinking about it and then playing Mm -hmm. it that we don't want outside things to be distracting, you know, or, um, what you're saying reminded me of this, uh, piece from uh, John Cage's Indeterminacy Mm -hmm. where, um, someone's Christian wolf is playing piano with the windows open yeah. and like sirens are coming <laughs> yeah. in and someone's like, Oh, that was, genius. that was great. But can you play it again with the, the windows closed? And he's like, no, that's part of the performance. Yeah. So I, I don't want like cement grinding to be part of my record, right. you know, like it's just, it's, it's not part of the song. So maybe when I make an experimental album, it could be, but yeah. that's not for a long not, time. Not, right <laughs> not, not any time in the future. Do, do you have people like right now that you're like, really would like to engage with and, and play with, or not even play with, just work with on songs, uh, either local or like larger? Besides what I'm doing? Yeah. Well, that's an interesting part of the Strathmore residency is because you have to collaborate with um, other artists in the program. Which people you pro- didn't know or did know? Yeah, people that um, actually I ended up knowing Invoke, the group, mm-hmm. the string quartet I'm working with, their residents. And then another resident is Christian Prez, who's uh, this amazing guitar player that I went to school with. Mm-hmm. So that was nice. And then the other two are um, Rochelle Rice, this contemporary vocalist, a phenomenal voice, and Mark Meadows, a songwriter and jazz pianist. So mm-hmm. it's a really great bunch of people, and I'm excited to see how we can collaborate together. Right. And then um, I recently, for the show tomorrow, actually, I'm collaborating with jazz pianist alan johnson okay. where he wrote uh, some some melody and chords on piano and i wrote lyrics for it and i've never done anything like that before oh. so that was really fun challenging yeah it was a little bit a little nervous to, to say well here are some thoughts i have and yeah. this is this is lyrics and let's just perform it it, it was very um very laid back and but uh, an interesting challenge and i'm We'll be doing that tomorrow. But besides that, there's uh, no one I can think of collaborating with at the moment. I think I'm just too focused on getting this record done. But um, there's an amazing, amazing talent in this area. Yeah. And have you had anybody contact you and be like, hey, I'd like to work with you? Besides previously mentioned. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I did do... um, this guy Oliver from Germany actually asked if I could sing on one of his tracks. So nice. I sent him. I, unfortunately, I don't have good recording equipment at my yeah. house, but I, I sent him what I what I could do on my own, and we'll see if he uses it. Yeah. But that was an interesting thing because I hadn't ever done something like that before either. Well, I usually cool, just do my like, own material. It's like you you you're, yeah. you're already doing something very like complex over here and sophisticated mm-hmm. but you're at the same time you're still pushing yourself into doing other things yeah i think i'm finally getting the confidence i need to start exploring other territories mm-hmm. and maybe doing things that are I, I don't know just just whatever whatever comes i'm i'm open to it yeah so i don't know if i have the time to do it all right but right i'm I, I'm very. I'm a. I think I have a very curious nature. Yeah. So, especially. Yeah. With music I, I think making. you're already confident. I think if you hear uh, yeah. your first album, like, you don't make that if you're not confident. <laughs> like, 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, that, that's the thing. Like, there. I mean, there are people who do. They're like, mm-hmm. woo, I'm going to do this. But, like, it is... It's, I, it, it's, it can be so hard to pull something like that together. And it does all pull together. And it's just like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm yeah. glad. It, I feel like that album, I'm I'm happy where where it is. But it was also like a stepping stone. Because I hadn't made an album right. like that before. I made, you know, demo stuff here and yeah. there. But um, I feel like it has... Uh, you know, it has a consistency to it, and I try to make some kind of arc, mm-hmm. make the things connect. So, yeah, I'm happy with it. I'm I'm so excited about the next one, though. Nice, and that's a good position to be in, I think. So, I think we're running up about like 45 minutes or so. Sure. But uh, I wanted to talk about real quick. Um, you used to live here, mm-hmm. very into this house show scene, which we've I've talked about with. So many people. I mean, it is it is so vibrant here in DC right now, yeah, and um, definitely and supportive of like people like like you. And you could play like the same night as a hardcore band at the same venue. Like it, it's ridiculous. But now you're in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. How's the scene up there for same different? Baltimore is really vibrant. It, I think because it's a bit more affordable, there are more people who can spend more time with their craft and there's great theater music visual art just everything there i mean all that's still here in dc i find that um i haven't really found besides my own place i have the holy underground i live at Mm -hmm. the holy underground and we're a diy spot and we host shows um all kinds of shows specifically yeah yeah we i do um it's it's a group of like seven or eight people, so it's very eclectic. Yeah, like I primarily do folk shows, but I'm also having like Brenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brenda's playing yeah. this week. Um, but then my roommate he'll uh, put together like metal shows. Mm-hmm. Um, my boyfriend is a musician, but also a visual artist. So sometimes we have art exhibits or right. literary readings. We've had a uh, Poncieli, this out of this world puppet group has performed in our space really? yeah yes. yeah so they're from puerto rico they're that they, we um also do uh art artist residencies in our space so if people send us a proposal yeah. and we accept it we'll let people stay at our place for a month um with a free boarding and they just have to contribute to some utilities and wow. we give them a space to use and then they can have their event in our show space. That's amazing. Yeah. So, um, I'm glad that we have that community and, um, there are a lot of very creative spaces in Baltimore, but like DC, they're often shifting, you know, mm-hmm. one closes, one opens up kind of thing. Um, just because maybe people move on or there's, some kind of issue with the space or with the landlord or I I don't really know, but, um, it's great. I feel like I haven't found my own footing there, Mm -hmm. but I feel very rooted in DC still. Um, I was part of a couple of venues here, like, uh, the paper sun. I lived there for a little bit and, um, that was my first place I moved to in DC. And, um, 
I was very inspired by my old roommates, uh, Britt and Colin. They were in Human Buildings, right. the band's Human Buildings. And I I just love their aesthetics and yeah. their work ethic and the way they curated shows. And that right, really inspired right, me to do right. that. And then I lived at the Beehive for a little bit. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And uh, it wasn't until like I was getting ready to move out that we, they started putting on all sorts of shows. But I remember, I think it was maybe 2000 and early 2011, they had the guy from the music tapes perform there. Yeah, yeah. So they've been doing stuff for a bit, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. all these have been doing them for, for a good long while now, yeah. I think. And I think, uh, you know, there's all sorts of great spots and just the spirit's going to keep going no matter if places shut down or... Yeah. Or... um. Yeah. yeah. Well, people will keep creating. Exactly. I, I mean, know. it's it's this. I mean, in the you mentioned Baltimore is, is way more affordable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the fact is that people come to DC to do uh, more or less government stuff. Most people do. I, yeah. I know very few people, but that doesn't mean that those people aren't creative. And so, it you have a slightly diminished or did have a slightly diminished creative class. Now we're seeing people. It, it's like it's exponential and feeds on itself and says oh wait I, I played in a band before i came here to work for a center i can still do this sort of thing and i can yeah like, still do that and, and it's sort of wild to like watch it yeah i definitely find myself sticking up for dc a lot because yeah. i hear people being like dc's kind of like yeah this or that i'm like actually it's really awesome you guys should just get on the mark train and check it out sometime you yeah know, like, i mean no it, 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 i mean dc is uh, sometimes i think all cities are all cities uh, i mean yeah, yeah <laughs> little, know? all cities are you know yeah. it, it's it, you know it, it depends if you're, if you're looking for an experience uh go to all cities if you're looking for an aesthetic then mm-hmm. i guess whatever you want your aesthetic to be it's fair to say don't go there mm-hmm. but if you come here like you you would have seen you playing all over the place you know you see all these bands like just in play you wouldn't see normally yeah there's a it's awesome how eclectic yeah. the activity is here and how a lot of the different circles meet up mm-hmm in different different places. Yeah, and how how you find that intersect. people like you mentioned, like you throw a metal show, or a show like yours, or a synth pop show, and you find that like a lot of times there was wasn't a level of interaction with these people. So they they didn't know they all like the same thing. They all, they all like making music, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> but then they meet each other and can hang out and be at the same show, and they're like, oh shit, like we do all like the same thing, and yeah, you know, and, and that at the end of the day is is pretty awesome definitely so. yeah I'd say that well you got anything else uh not that i can really think of well thank yeah. you so much for coming down oh absolutely uh, we will put yeah. the uh links to the kickstarter up oh sure thank and you and try yeah. to uh get you some more money everybody should donate to this oh thanks uh, <laughs> to, to uh, or get, spread the word yeah or spread the word get this album out uh let me know when it uh, comes out and when you're playing in D.C. Because I, I haven't seen you. I'd love to see you. Yeah, well, I'm actually playing on Thursday. Is it Thursday? Yeah, Thursday. I'm playing at uh, Eastern Confederate, which okay. is um, 
Ryan Hunter Mitchell's hair salon, the guy from Shark Week. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, I, that's the thing. I was trying to book this show back in September. I asked Black Cat backstage. I asked DC9. I asked, every, everything was booked back in like September or something for December. Yeah. And then uh, I had to get creative. I started asking the house show venues and like uh, different people said they couldn't host it. And then uh, I was like, Eastern Confederates are a really cool space. Maybe they'd be cool with hosting an intimate folk show. So nice. I'll be playing there on Thursday with Arborea, this awesome psych folk duo from Maine. Oh, very cool. But then my next show will be, I'll, I'll let you know about it. It'll be the Common Tone show at yeah. Best Boys and Poets in February. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks. Yeah. Bye. Good night. Persephone, don't you eat that pomegranate seed? Or even that of the simple persimmon? Persephone, now just wait a minute. Like we said up top, that was the wonderful Mary McLaughlin. Uh, this interview, I think, was uh, sort of it's sort of like an introduction, just not just for you guys, but for me. Uh, I've, I've been familiar with her music and, and what she's been doing around town and around Baltimore for a while now, uh, but had never uh, really got to know uh, really what she is about and, and talk to her at all. So, uh, you know, I hope you enjoyed that. I did. Uh, uh, I hope Marion comes back. Uh, Marion, if you're listening, please come back, uh, when spirit house is finally finished. And to that point, uh, beyond just listening to her debut album, which you can listen to, I think it's on audio and Spotify. Now it's on Bandcamp If you, if you'd like to buy it, which you should, uh, you can go out and support her Kickstarter to make spirit house, uh, which I definitely suggest you do. Uh, I think anybody who, who's this thoughtful about um, about making the music and, and what they're doing and trying to do something uh, different that, that maybe like enriches in, in a different way than we're used to uh, as indie rock fans, if, if you want to consider that that's what we're talking about on this podcast, uh, I think they deserve to be supported uh, a lot, actually. And so you should go out and do that. So thanks again to Marion. And, uh, yeah, help her out, guys. Uh, that is our podcast, not just for this week, but this year. Uh, we, like I said up front, we are going to have two, uh, count them, two best of podcasts. One of them uh, we've already put in the can. Uh, Tori Quinn and uh, Paul from Hometown Sounds joined me in the basement last night, even, uh, to talk about the best uh, local bands in dc the best that dc has to offer so that one's going to come up uh, next week and then uh, immediately after that uh, that thursday we're going to have our best of the year we're doing it a little differently this year we're not doing lists per se although everyone has a list because i think the point 
uh, of all of this should be. We're just trying to expose you uh, to uh, music you might not have heard of or, or just talk uh, critically sometimes about music you have heard of. Uh, for these, for the most part, we're going to be putting down our critic hat, though, and just shining the light on the good stuff. Uh, stuff that, you know, you put in your ears at the end of the year, and you're like, damn, 2014 was a good year for music. So look forward to that. Uh, it has been fun, uh, and we'll have much, much, much more in 2014 for all this. So thank you for listening. Uh, please, if you like us, subscribe to us on iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. Listen to us on Stitcher. Uh, download it from the site, however you want to put it in yours. If you have suggestions, uh, please email them to me. Uh, not at the uh, Go Fuck Yourself address. Uh, email it to uh, Kevin and Chunky Glasses or info at Chunky Glasses if you want to talk to all of us. Uh, and if you feel sometime that you want to come on the show, uh, whether you're an artist or a uh, just a person who likes to talk about music, please do that. Worked out for Patrick. Uh, it can work out for you. Uh, so we will talk to you soon. Uh, see ya. Yeah.